What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Passing Downs Podcast. I'm your host, Rahul Potty, and I'm here with my co-host, PD. PD, say what's up. What's up? All right, and we're back with our, I'd say, 14th episode, if I had to guess. And we're going to be doing, as as always, a preview or a review of the previous week, which was week 14, and the most interesting quarterback play from that week. And we're going to do a little bit of a jump in into the next week, week 15, and talk about what we think is the most interesting matchups from that. And I'll get started with probably one of the better quarterbacks in this last month of football that we've seen as as far as the younger quarterbacks go. Because coming into this year with Trevor Lawrence, a lot of people expected a big, significant jump in terms of his play. And for a while, we weren't getting it. But this last month, he's kind of come along and kind of settled in as an NFL quarterback, so to say. I think this game was definitely one of his better ones this year against a very good Tennessee defense. Uh, His stats looked flawless. He was 30 for 42, 368 yards, threw three touchdowns with no picks, and ran in for a touchdown. And he did this while attacking the Titans in all three facets of the field. Uh, His game itself didn't look quite as flawless as the stats may suggest, but it was still very good nonetheless. And getting into it, uh, early in the first quarter, I thought we saw a lot of like the classic Trevor Lawrence we see uh, when he's at his best, where he's just getting the ball out quick, whether it's screens, quick outs, quick slants, and just getting the ball to his playmakers and letting them uh, get yards after catch and just maximizing that. And the first drive, the Titans just kind of let the Jaguars do that, and Trevor Lawrence just kept attacking that. Uh, we saw him end that drive with a nice uh, short pass to Evan Ingram rolling right on a drag, and Evan that was kind of epitomized how that drive went because he just caught a quick two, three-yard drag and ran that upfield for a touchdown. That was the right read, and even though it wasn't a flashy play, it was uh, what Lawrence did, and it was successful, and that's where Lawrence, I'd say, is probably at his best. Uh, going into the second quarter, we see Lawrence attack a lot more of the intermediate level of the field because the Titans decided to creep up a little bit after that first quarter and just take away that short game from Lawrence and those just easy completions leading to big yards. Uh, the Titans weren't having that anymore, and Trevor Lawrence adapted and started to kill them over the intermediate levels, and that's where Lawrence's IQ comes into play. He's supposed to be a really great football mind as a quarterback and I think that this showed showed it a lot and this quarter particularly I saw him attack that Evan Ingram matchup a lot because it was clearly bothering the Titans they didn't necessarily have an answer for him which is weird when you're talking about a guy like Evan Ingram but for whatever reason he was killing them and he just kept going at it and at the end of the half we see him start to even attack even deep and like I said he does attack all three facets of the field and this is the end of the half, both out of necessity and also because the defense allows him to. We see him get a big chunk yardage play to Kirk and then another one, uh, Christian Kirk, and another one to Zay Jones to end the half and pick up some points. Uh, he does get lucky as the half ends at the very end of it because he does underthrow Zay Jones in double coverage and the ball is nearly picked off, but the defender just fails to catch the ball and not only does he not catch it 
he tips it up right into Zay Jones' hands, who walks in for a touchdown. Uh, this is one of those throws where Trevor Lawrence kind of just got away with it. He got lucky. This is what I'd describe as probably the one throw he makes every game that's interceptable. We see it every game, and this one, his stat sheet doesn't look nearly as bad because that one throw happened to become a touchdown and almost a highlight play for him uh, to, I guess, the common eye. But that was definitely not the right read and not a good throw, and he just got lucky. Going into the third quarter, though, I'd say this was Lawrence's best quarter of the game because he continues to air it out and attack that intermediate level I was talking about. Uh, he does a great job of avoiding pressure this drive because uh, because of how easy it was for Lawrence in the first half, the Titans decide to send way more heat his way, and the Jaguars' offensive line not necessarily being the best. They didn't do a great job of protecting him, but Lawrence here does a great job of maneuvering around the pocket, even breaking a couple tackles. I think one play that really exemplified that was around with nine minutes left in the third. Uh, you see him avoid a blitzing defensive back who kind of had a free shot at him. And then he maneuvered around a couple of defensive linemen. And then he hit uh, Jamal Agnew on a tight window throw for a big first down. I think Lawrence just did a great job of that this drive, really using his size and athleticism. Uh, he does another... Uh, he shows his athleticism again at the one yard line on one of the drives in the third quarter where uh, he pretty much makes the wrong read on what seems to be a read option. But even with the linebacker coming straight at him, he stiff arms him, gets away from him and still manages to make that extra effort and get in for a touchdown. And I think just it's just once again, his size and athleticism coming into play there. Uh, he has one of his best throws of the day too in this third quarter towards the end of it where he has a perfect back shoulder fade to Evan Ingram for like a 30 yard touchdown. Uh, and yeah, that was, that was just a beautiful throw. Uh, in the fourth quarter at this point, the Jags were pretty much up big and didn't really do too much to uh, make like put a, didn't really do too much as far as throwing the ball. They kind of just ran out the clock and that kind of concluded the, uh, the day for Trevor Lawrence. And overall, I'd say this was definitely uh, positive for someone as early in his career as he is. I mean, if we're looking at a veteran, maybe you don't want to see those mistakes he got away with. But someone like Lawrence, even though he was touted as a great prospect, you love to see the recent uptick in play he's been having. And uh, I think this was just another example of that in this one. Yeah, Lawrence, pretty awesome in this game. I think um, the the explosive plays really started to come out in this one. And um, 100%. yeah. Got away with a mistake or two maybe here or there, but I think I am finally starting to believe the hype um, for, for the for the player that's in the NFL. I always did believe it as, as a prospect pre-draft, but um, yeah, the the it's starting to actualize the potential. Yeah, uh, I think everyone's with. starting to believe and starting to see that Trevor Lawrence yeah. might be good for a very long time. Yeah, speaking of good quarterbacks, uh, let's jump to Jalen Hurts um, and his absolute destruction of, of the Giants. So um, most of his work came in the first half because he was so good that they didn't really need much of him in the second half. But uh, let's go through that first half. So a couple of short completions to start his game. Um, and then he makes a nice run uh, for nine yards off, off a read option. Um, some more short completions to kind of you know, pull the defense towards the line of scrimmage a little bit. And then he hits him with a beautiful bomb to Miles Sanders, 
um, which is like he, they were backed up at their own eight yard line, and um, he throws a great ball to Miles Sanders, and Miles Sanders just drops it um, thirty five yards down the field. It would have been a massive play. Um, a couple more short completions to close out the quarter, and to open the second quarter as well. Um, and then he throws a beautiful ball, with, which is dropped again uh, by, by Devontae Smith. Into um, he, he, Devontae Smith is open on this one, but the ball is on the money 16 yards down the field, and he just drops it. Um, a, couple, a, a short completion later, and the Eagles are faced with a critical fourth and seven, where um, Nick Sirianni wisely decides to go for it, um, puts his foot on the gas pedal a little bit, in a critical situation, um, Hurts, he kind of throws the ball up for grabs, but I think it's a good decision because it's fourth and seven. Um, and Devontae Smith just makes an absolutely incredible play, um, breaks a tackle for extra 18 yards after the catch, and runs in for a 41-yard touchdown. Um, the next play, another touchdown, but this time Jalen Hurts makes a great throw. Um, he's he's kind of moving a little bit uh, to, to his left, um, and he fires the ball. Um, to AJ Brown across the field to um, on like this kind of post type of route from AJ Brown, um, and AJ Brown goes in for a 33 yard touchdown. Um, after a couple of incompletions and sacks, that kind of concludes the quarter. But the Eagles are up big at this point, so they don't really need much except for Jalen Hurts to just kind of close it out. But he doesn't disappoint in, in the in the third quarter. He makes back to back great runs. Um, first one on a QB draw, and then the next one on a read option. He takes them for 13 and 24 yards, respectively. And then after an incompletion, we get another drop um, on a big-time play from Jalen Hurts. He's throwing outside the numbers to the left to Devontae Smith, 19 yards down the field in a tight window, and Devontae just drops it. Um, and that play was pretty critical because um, that could have honestly been a touchdown, but Devontae Smith just wasn't having the greatest day. Um, we get a couple of short completions, a couple of nice runs, um, and then the fourth quarter is nothing to write home about because Hertz um, makes his few mistakes of the game uh, in that fourth quarter, takes a couple of bad sacks, and throws a few more short completions, uh, and that get taken for extra yards after catch. So all in all, the first three quarters he was playing one of the best games of the year, quite honestly. He was generating explosive plays at will, um, just all over the place, the Giants' defense couldn't do anything to stop him. Um, but that fourth quarter brought it back down a little bit. Still an incredible game from Hurts. And yeah, he's he's now the favorite to win MVP, minus odds, actually. Um, so good for him. Um, I, I'm very happy to see Hurts develop like this. You know, I'm, I've been a very big fan of Jalen Hurts forever. So um, yeah, looking forward to seeing it again this week against a, a terrible defense uh, in the Bears um, instead of one that can actually uh, give problems to the offense. Uh, yeah, as someone who's had Jalen Hurts as his fantasy quarterback in back-to-back years now, I got to say his uh, his improvement from last year to this year has been absolutely crazy. Last year, a lot of people crowned him as that fantasy quarterback that wasn't really doing much in real life. And this year, especially with games like this, he's definitely shut that up completely. Uh, I think he's at this point proven himself to be one of those, one of the elite quarterbacks in this league. And like PD said, he's even the favorite to win MVP right now. So yeah, this was just another game and an incredible season from Hertz. And moving on from Hertz to one of his 
NFC opponents competing for the or one of those top seeds in the NFC. Speaking the of MVP. <laughs> and uh the Vikings here, they had a game against the Lions where they needed a they needed a win here, especially with the Niners winning. Obviously, they didn't know till later in the day, but they did need a big win here to kind of stay at that two seed firmly. And the Vikings definitely did not put up a performance they needed to, but Kirk Cousins was the absolute opposite because he absolutely balled out this one and got completely let down by his defense, who was abysmal, and even his offensive line, who I will get into in a little bit. Uh, but his stats were absolutely insane. He was 31 for 41, threw for 425 yards, two touchdowns, and no picks. And 223 of those was going to Justin Jefferson. And it honestly should have been even more, uh, which I'll also get into later in the game. But overall, he was just lights out. And honestly, if I had to talk about all the great throws he made this game, we'd be here all day. Because he pretty much had no mistakes, in my opinion. So I'll kind of just go into some of his better plays of the day. Uh, and just overall how good he was. In the first, the Lions were honestly completely fine with giving up the underneath pass. And Kirk was taking advantage. He was making the right check down passes. A lot of quick uh, in routes. And just kind of nickel and diming his way downfield for a score. Uh, his first out... Uh, and then... Later on, his first drive of the second quarter, he continued to do a lot of the same to get to Lions territory. And on a third and nine, he does hit Hawkinson on the money on an out route for a first down. And Hawkinson ends up dropping it. And you'll see this. It's a common theme. A lot of the failed drives the Vikings had in this game, and there were a lot of them. Uh, and you'd be surprised considering how good Cousins was. But it was plays like these where Hawkinson was literally hit in his chest and he just drops it. And it was, it's plays like these that kind of screwed them over in this one. Uh, he does make an incredible play later in this game in the middle of the third to roll out and hit Jefferson on the sideline on a third and 11 while he was in the end zone, I believe, or very close to it, very close to a safety. Uh, they were just short of a first tier, but it was still an absolutely incredible throw and an incredible play for Jefferson to come back to the ball. They were just short. He also makes an elite throw later in this quarter on a third and five to Hawkinson with about 3.30 left. Uh, it was right on the money for a huge conversion here. He followed that with another tight window throw to Jefferson on a third and six uh, across the middle of a field on a crossing route. That got them another 25. Uh, he followed that throw with another crazy one in this drive where he has a huge throw to Jefferson who was in between defenders, but he still hits him right on the money on the sideline. For another 20 plus yard gain. And despite all these great throws. This drive fails once again. Because Dalvin Cook fumbles. At like the one yard line. And ends up handing the ball back to the. Uh, to the Lions. Uh, late in the third quarter. We see him make another two huge throws. To first Hawkinson and then Jefferson. For massive gains. And both were with intense pressure. Right in his face. So I believe the Jefferson one. He was even getting hit as he throw threw. And he still hit Jefferson. Uh, on the money and allowed him to get plenty of yak yards. Uh, this is just him showing grit despite the Lions sending a ton of pressure. And the Lions were absolutely great at rushing the passer this uh, this week. Or maybe it was a combo of that and the Vikings offensive line being terrible and overwhelmed. Because there are a lot of plays like these where 
I felt like the Vikings could have done a better job of picking up the blitz, and they kind of just chose not to or just were unable to. Uh, on a fourth and four, we do see uh, uh, Cousins hit Thielen down the sideline for a big 23-yard touchdown to not only convert that fourth down but keep them in the game because at that point, they're only down seven. Uh, but the Lions go down and score another touchdown, putting Cousins down 15 in the fourth. And he comes back in this first drive in the fourth and responds with a huge play, hitting Jefferson in probably one of the best throws he's made today. It was a tight coverage throw, like 50 yards downfield, where there was someone over the top of Jefferson and right underneath him, and Cousins still puts it right on the money. However, this drive once again fails due to a couple of sacks that Cousins was forced to take due to bad blocking. Uh, late in the fourth quarter, uh, Cousins has a play where it was either just him saying, fuck it, Jefferson's out there somewhere, or it was incredibly elite anticipation because he kind of just throws it up to Jefferson in what seemed to be double coverage with the third defender kind of lurking around. And Jefferson not only grabs it, but breaks the tackle and runs downfield what, what should have been a touchdown and probably one of Jefferson's best plays of the season, if not his career. But the Vikings kind of just got hold on this one because they say Jefferson stepped out of bounds when he clearly didn't. Uh, Cousins anyways finishes this drive with one of his better throws of the day uh, where he hits KJ Osborne in the front right corner of the touchdown for a toe drag. Uh, a touchdown, really impressive throw with him rolling out as well. And it was right on the money with the defender somewhat close by, I'd say. Somewhat tight window throw. And that kind of wraps it up for Cousins on his day. And overall, I'd say this is a... This isn't even a classic 1 p.m. Kirk Cousins game because, honestly, he was going absolutely crazy in this one. And this is something we almost have come to expect out of Kirk Cousins in these, you know, random 1 p.m., 10 a.m. games. I, I believe this was a 10 a.m. one, actually. But this one was probably one of his best of the year, one of the better performances I've seen out of him. There isn't much more I could have seen him do. And, honestly... Uh, games like this are what make me feel like, okay, maybe the Vikings can do something in the playoffs. Maybe they do have something to them because, uh, this one was great from Cousins, but he's definitely needs more help from his offensive line and the defense for sure. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're creeping back towards where Cousins will like almost always inevitably finish in the rankings because here we are again, um, with Cousins not missing a game. Um, playing like maybe I'd say like the 12th, 13th best quarterback in the league this year uh, after a monster game. And it's very unlikely uh, to me that no one drops uh, drops out of the, of the what you would expect for the normal top 10 due to injury. So um, another season where, where Cousins is just consistent and um, playing just good football again. Um, so we'll see what the playoffs hold. That'll probably um, be the biggest thing that shifts people's opinions. Um, but yeah, um, if he shows up, I I, I hope so, man. Um, he needs you, at you, least one season where he shows up to really switch the narrative on him. It it has happened before. Like a twenty nineteen game against against the Saints really does stand out as a as a defining moment for for him. And they ran into like a powerhouse in the in the Niners who probably. Um, deserve to win a Super Bowl, if not for 
some some magic from Mahomes late in the Super Bowl. But um, yeah, we'll we'll see what the rest of the season holds for Kirk Cousins. Um, speaking of high level quarterback play for the rest of the season, let's jump to Josh Allen, who um, played a really strong game uh, despite horrible weather. Um, it started off pretty slow in the first quarter. Um, he had four 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 straight four straight plays um, that were either or five straight plays that were either an incompletion or a sack. And, you know, it was just, it was just a little bit of a mess. The first one was uh, not his fault, this incompletion, where Stephon Diggs is not really looking looking for the ball, but Allen puts the ball where it should go, and it's on Diggs to make that play. The next few were just a bit of a mess. One of them a throwaway, uh, one, a comp- uh, one a miscommunication, um, and that sack I don't think was on him either. But things started to pick up um, after that rough first half of the first quarter. Um, Allen made a short scramble for four yards or so, threw another incompletion, which wasn't his fault. Isaiah McKenzie has to make that catch. Um, uh, A run that went nowhere, and then some short completions and another sack. Um, But we pick up in the second quarter with a really nice uh, scramble on third and 15, Allen goes for 16 yards, um, kind of leaps in the air for the first down, gets twisted uh, midair, uh, kind of helicopters his way uh, past the first down marker. Uh, after an incompletion and some a couple of uh, short completions, he takes a sack that I don't think was his fault, and we close out the second quarter with a, uh, sh- some short completions, um, some good scrambles, and a nice pass to Dawson Knox for a 24-yard touchdown. Uh, moving into the second half, we start with uh, a short com- short incompletion. Um, that, that was another drop. And then a short completion uh, through the air to Diggs, who turns up field for a 31-yard gain. Great play by Diggs there. We have another incompletion that's not Josh Allen's fault, where Gabriel Davis just dropped, doesn't get his feet, uh, doesn't get his feet down before going out of bounds along the sideline. Um, that should have been about an eight-yard gain. Um, we have another incompletion and then a short completion and a short scramble for five yards. Then Allen makes probably his best throw of the day, in my opinion, where he's throwing a really deep uh, deep type of curl hinge route uh, outside the numbers to the left to uh, Gabriel Davis. Puts it on the money uh, 19 yards down the field, and it's, it's a nice throw. Um, a couple or one short completion and a scramble later, uh, we get head into the fourth quarter where Allen basically doesn't really do anything. Um, except make a couple of short completions or one short completion and a couple of incomplete passes that weren't really his fault. So as you can tell from from kind of this, the description I just had there, um, this, the Bills receivers were having serious trouble catching the ball, and I think the weather affected them more than it affected Allen's performance. Um, if the Bills' offense is to sustain itself, they're going to have to take advantage of the short passes and deep passes that Allen does give them. Um, and I would expect better going forward uh, if were it not for what the forecast is for Saturday night. Um, but beyond there, I wouldn't have many worries about the Bills offense. Um, they, they did only put up seven points in that first half, and it didn't really get to be like the explosive Bills offense that we know. Um, but, you know, I, I, I still think that the Bills are going to be a successful team moving forward um, based on Josh Allen's play. I don't think he was the problem. Yeah, I'd have to agree there for sure. I think 
in addition to the weather, I think the Jets' defense being kind of, or not the secondary being probably one of the better ones in the league so far, definitely made it the Bills have trouble in Uh, yeah, I think a big part of the Bills receivers not necessarily having as much separation is the Jets' defense being pretty locked down in this one. I do think the weather in Buffalo, or just the Northeast in general, will start to take an effect on the receivers as well. And especially in this game coming up, like you did just say. Uh, but, yeah, I still I, I think at this point it's just something Allen's going to have to learn to deal with. And... Moving on from one quarterback who whose skill positions, I guess, let him down a bit to someone who has probably one of the best skill position uh, sets in the league in Brock Purdy, who a lot of people doubted him and even now is, are probably still doubting him because he is Mr. Irrelevant. He is a third string quarterback, but he is becoming kind of a people's favorite across the league. And especially with us Niners fans, because he's been absolutely balling out against a very elite defense, too. Uh, he was 16 for 21, throwing for 185 yards, two touchdowns and a pick, and picked up a rushing touchdown as well. And honestly, from the jump, he did exactly his job and wrapped this game up by halftime, really. And he's running the offense as of right now. I mean, who knows what can happen in the future, but as of right now, he's running the offense as well as Jimmy, if not better, and the Niners have not really skipped a beat. Uh, going into the game with Purdy, he started off the first drive with a huge completion over the middle to uh, George Kittle on a third down to pick up a first uh, with pressure in his face. But honestly, this drive was mostly run heavy and carried by Christian McCaffrey, who did end up uh, rushing in for a touchdown here. And this is just an example of Purdy not really having to do a whole lot and kind of getting the chance to settle in, and that's why he's honestly been so successful, despite being a third string and not really getting much reps all years, because the team around him can do so much even without him. Uh, the second drive was a lot more of the same, it was focused upon him just getting the ball out quick with screens, checkdowns, but he did finish this drive with a fantastic run. We see him avoid what seemed to be two sacks, and at the goal line, he jukes out Devin White, who's honestly supposed to be one of the better tacklers in the league. He just runs right by him and into the goal line for a touchdown. Uh, just another example of him showing off his athleticism, which is something the Niners offense didn't really have with Jimmy Garoppolo and something they could really use right now. And Purdy's definitely doing it for them. Uh, in the following drive, I saw probably one of the best throws I've seen as a Niners fan all years including Lance, Jimmy G, uh, and it was an incredible throw to Christian McCaffrey, who absolutely burns his man downfield on a wheel route. He looked like a, he looked like a receiver out there, and Purdy puts it on the money for him down the sideline to not only grab it and get that last yard or two for a touchdown, he did get the ball hit, and for a while it was a bit of a question if Christian McCaffrey ended up getting in, but McCaffrey does get his toes in just enough for that touchdown. And Purdy makes that throw despite pressure all up in his face and was completely on the money. And to end the half, uh, 
honestly, Purdy comes out with about a minute left in the uh, second quarter. And I think Kyle Shanahan and just all, 49ers offense in general plan to just get out of the half and just run out the clock. But Purdy seemed to have other plans because he comes out right in that drive. He first hits Ayuk on what seemed to be an in route and puts it on the money enough for him to turn around, run up field, and gets out of bounds and picks up about 20, gets the 49ers to about midfield and gives Purdy a chance to do what he does to end this drive, which was also one of the better throws I've seen him make. Uh, he throws an absolute dime to Ayuk down the sideline with like three Bucks defenders trailing him and another safety coming over the top on the right. So Purdy really had to put this ball in a spot and despite there being three, four defenders, Bucks defenders in the vicinity, Purdy still puts it right on the money before the safety could even come over and make a play. It was amazing, an amazing throw. Uh, and honestly, at this point, the game was pretty much over. I believe it was 28-0 at this point. Purdy does come back in the uh, third quarter, leads another touchdown scoring drive. This was uh, a lot more like the first two where he wasn't asked to throw the ball a whole lot downfield. It was kind of a lot of Christian McCaffrey. He ends up throwing a check down to Christian McCaffrey, who scores a touchdown here and puts the Niners up 35. And at this point, he was soon after taken out for, um, I'm surprised this guy even is on the field in 2022, but Josh Johnson came in in relief for Purdy, and that ended Purdy's day. And overall, uh, I think I... I want to echo a lot of what I said last week with Purdy, where this could just be uh, not necessarily a fluke, but just a, when a, a new quarterback comes in early on, he does get a lot of success very quickly. And sometimes it doesn't translate moving forward. And especially with all the weapons Purdy has around him, you can't say necessarily that this is all him. However, for the short term, the Niners look really good, even with Purdy. They seem to have not skipped a beat, like I said. And honestly, I think he's doing his job well. And this team is still very scary for the playoffs. Yeah, fully agree on the Niners being a pretty scary team. Um, speaking of the Niners, um, their opponent tonight is the Seattle Seahawks. And let's jump to Geno Smith, who... Um, was pretty up and down, uh, if I might say so myself, against the Panthers. Um, we started off the game in the first quarter with a pretty disastrous first quarter. Um, his first pass was an interception, and this one was pretty bad. Um, he's throwing outside the numbers uh, to the left, about 20 yards down the field to Tyler Lockett, but it's it's not there. It's, it's totally covered. Um, Gino kind of doesn't see the defender, I think, and he throws it behind him, and it leads to an interception. After a short completion, he throws another pass that should have been intercepted. Um, this one to DK Metcalf on second and eight. He just kind of chucks it out there for Metcalf, and the defender doesn't really make a good play on the ball. Um, just has a horrible, horrible time tracking it, um, and that could have been intercepted. Probably should have been, um, but it fell incomplete. We move to the third quarter after um, an incompletion. Gino fires. An incredible pass to to Marquise Goodwin. He's wide open, but Gino puts it on the money 33 yards down the field, um, and that leads to a 38-yard play. Um, then Gino puts puts on uh, another great throw 
um, a tight window one 15 yards down the field to Tyler Lockett that leads to a 17 yard completion. And the Seahawks now on the goal line, um, Gino makes another great play, um, kind of floats it up there for Tyler Lockett to go track the ball. Um, but that was the right decision. And Tyler Lockett, as usual, tracks the ball perfectly. Great body control puts uh, toe taps both feet down. Um, the next one after uh, an inter- intermediate completion, uh, Gino throws an interception, but I don't think this one was his fault. Um, there was a defender offsides, and Gino was certain that they were offsides. Um, I think it was Brian Burns, um, and he just kind of lays it out there for DK Metcalf, and it's intercepted because he's being hit while he's throwing. But in the in the in the moment there, um, the refs should have thrown a flag, and uh, I don't think that's that's his fault. After a short completion, uh, or after a, a nice scramble and a short completion, Gino fires an intermediate pass, um, then takes a bad sack. Um, one of a few on the day, I think. Um, he then completes another short pass, makes a nice intermediate pass, this one to Marquise Goodwin. Um, it's a little bit behind him, but it's it's on the money. And we get another interceptable pass. Um, this one, uh, DK Metcalf is covered. Um, this one's in the end zone, actually. Um, he's covered, and in the back of the end zone, um, instead of kind of throwing a back shoulder type route um, to where Metcalf might actually have some separation. Um, Gino just floats it up there where the defender can make a great play on the ball. Now, fortunately for him, J.C. Horn doesn't get both feet in bounds, but uh, that that one should have been another interception in my opinion. And a couple of plays later, um, Gino makes up for it a little bit with a great pass to, to Metcalf. Um, this one's in a tight window on like a post-glance type route, uh, an in-breaker, and he just fires it in between multiple defenders um, for, for the touchdown. Um, we move to the second half where Gino makes a nice completion to Marquise Goodwin again. He's open and it's a little high, but it's it's a, it's a good throw nonetheless. He misses the throw, then makes a nice scramble, and or a back-to-back good runs for 14 yards in total. Um, after a couple of short completions, Gino goes on a streak where um, he throws four straight incompletions, one of them not being his fault, where Metcalf was open and he should have caught it, even though it was a little low. Um, he throws another incompletion, then a nice intermediate completion to Tyler Lockett. Um, and we move to the fourth quarter, um, where Gino, <laughs> he was still a mixed bag. Um, he makes a couple of ni- he, he makes a nice uh, short to intermediate completion to Will Bisley, um, and then throws a really nice pass. Uh, in a tight window to DK Metcalf, 18 yards down the field, and Metcalf rings it back for a 17-yarder. Um, after an incompletion and a sack, which were neither his fault, he throws a bad pass um, where Tyler Lockett is wide open and Mech- or Gino uh, throws it low and a bit ahead of him. The next one, another interceptable pass where um, Metcalf is again covered um, and Gino throws it in an uncatchable spot behind him uh, on third and eight. Um, he makes a really nice pass down the sideline to Tyler Lockett, 20 plus yards down the field, then takes a pretty bad sack that kind of almost ends their chances to win the game. Um, and he finishes up with a couple of short completions and a couple of nice intermediate throws to DK Metcalf and Marquise Goodwin. So overall on the day, it was, I would say it's, it was below average, but it wasn't disastrous because as we talked about, like almost all of the year, um, 
Gino's ability to bounce back from mistakes and and continue to uh, keep his foot on the gas pedal is kind of driving the Seahawks offense right now. And even though he's been playing some pretty mediocre ball in the past maybe six to seven weeks, I still have faith in him bouncing back because, you know, that's that's what the evidence has shown this season. Um, no matter how many uh, times he puts the ball in harm's way, he will make enough explosive plays to keep the Seahawks in it. Um, now, that doesn't excuse him having a game like this where he put the ball in harm's way four times, but you 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 come to expect Gino to play at least average football, and that kind of that kind of keeps the Seahawks in in the game at all times. With Gino, we've kind of expected at this point to take the good with the bad, but in this week, I think there was a bit too much bad for the Seahawks to overcome, and honestly, I think that's kind of become a theme over the last few weeks. See, Gino's definitely not the type, the guy to blame for their failures, but he definitely hasn't been flawless, and it has come with its problems, especially in this one. It was a huge matchup for them to beat this Carolina team, because uh, now in that matchup you mentioned earlier against the Niners, the Seahawks have the chance to lose the division, and now I think they've even fallen out of the playoffs. So these are games that the Seahawks definitely have to win, and uh, definitely a chunk of that is Geno not making mistakes. And on the flip side of things, one thing, uh, we're not obviously not going to talk about Sam Darnold, but I do want to say it is kind of wild how a team like the Panthers, who fired their head coach four or five weeks in, traded away their best player, and literally cut who was supposed to be the starting quarterback for the year, has somehow gotten this ragtag group of offensive players to somehow, some way, score this many points and stay in even playoff contention. It's kind of wild to me how bad the NFC South is to even allow this to happen and how the Panthers were able to put up 30 points when they really didn't even get their best weapon and DJ Moore involved. But that's something interesting to look at for sure. And honestly, props to them for taking down the Seahawks because, as I said, as a Niners fan, that's very, very helpful. Uh, but moving on from that to definitely one of the most exciting matchups of the week. Actually, I'll go out and say the most exciting matchup of the week and one of the most exciting matchups of the year in the Chargers and Dolphins. And all week, this was extremely hyped up, and we even talked about it in our uh, previews last week because Herbert and Tua being one pick apart in the same draft class and having, I'd say, pretty similar seasons this year, there's been a lot of talk about who's better, who's the quarterback you want for the future, and just overall a lot of that. There's a lot of hype coming from Emmanuel Acho's side, a big NFL analyst, talking about Justin Herbert being a social media quarterback. And we don't, I don't need to mention that name, I don't think, on this podcast. Uh, yeah, well, it was pretty funny to see how uh, what ended up with him after the fallout of this game? Because Herbert, at least in my opinion, was not flawless, but he was pretty damn close in this one. And he really showed, I think, everyone, because this was a nationally televised game, not only what he can do and just telling, really just people need to put respect, more respect on his name. Because this was one of his first games with a really healthy team. 
he has he's finally got Keenan Allen back healthy a week or so ago, and it seems to me that he's back at 100% now. And after, I think, six weeks off, he finally got probably his best receiver this year in Mike Williams. And you finally see Justin Herbert with his full arsenal of weapons. And it looks a lot different than the ragtag bunch of receivers he's been playing with all year. And I think you saw that a lot in this one. I believe he also got Corey Lindsley back at center. That didn't seem to help as much because Herbert was pressured. I believe the stat was 44% of the time in this game. And I think this game really exemplified how elite Herbert is at avoiding sacks because I think people who really looked into it know Herbert's been one of the better, if not the best, at avoiding sacks pretty much his whole career and this year especially. But I think this game really exemplified it because despite being under pressure almost half the game and there were probably two, three, maybe four times, I thought, okay, Herbert might get strip sacked here. He was still able to maneuver, run around, and not only uh, just get away from the pressure, but he was able to make plays outside the pocket and outside the structure of his offense. I believe in off-script situations in this one, he was something like 11 for 13, and outside the pocket, he threw for 150 yards and a touchdown in this one. So he was lights out despite the Dolphins being all up in his face all game this one. Uh, I think we also saw probably one of his better throws of the year and uh, probably one of the best throws of all quarterbacks this year. Uh, it was late in the game where you see him take a play action rollout right, and he's probably around the right hash marks of the field, and he has Mike Williams open deep over the top across the field on the left, uh, around the left sideline in very tight coverage, and he still delivers that on the money with pressure in his face and it was absolute dime, and I think that was just another example of how elite he was in this one. And it was 39 for 51, threw for 367 yards and a touchdown, and I honestly feel as good as this uh, that stat line makes it seem. I honestly don't even think it gives him justice for how good he was this one. He, do he does make a pretty big mistake in that fumble, and me and PD went back and forth about this quite a bit, actually. Uh, after this game, I kind of uh, excuse him for this play. It was late in the game, and honestly, it did waste a down on a second and goal, which was kind of key, uh, and and ended up forcing them into kicking a field goal. But I do excuse him a bit because he didn't make the heads-up play to fall on the ball. Uh, PD puts that down to the luck of the bounce. It is what it is. At the end of the day, that is a mistake that He's definitely got to clean up in those sort of situations. But other than that, in one bad sack, I felt like he took in the second quarter. He really didn't make any mistakes, in my opinion. And he really just put his team and his offense on his back and just went out and won this game for the Chargers. I have nothing much more to say, except he was incredible. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's already among the all-time greats in avoiding sacks and, and handling pressure. I think um, I, I feel comfortable saying that at this point. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was an absolute masterclass in um, how to how to deal with a poor offensive line. Um, I think I think that I, I, I disliked um, the way the Dolphins were playing it a little bit after rewatching it. Um, I feel like they sent too many rushers quite frequently. And, you know, 
Herbert is Herbert is incredible when you when you like when you scale up the the volume of pressure. He doesn't really he isn't really phased. But um, if if they dropped more receivers into coverage, um, I think that or dropped more uh, defenders into coverage to cover those receivers, I think um, they would have been better off because they they really. Uh, wouldn't be able to be beat over the top because the Chargers don't really have that kind of deep speed, and um, the the Dolphins line were were winning with with four. So uh, I didn't really understand the game plan from that standpoint. Um, but regardless, uh, absolutely incredible performance from Herbert uh, under pressure, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do with a healthy slate of receivers uh, after having maybe um, maybe maybe the worst supporting cast um, in the NFL so far this year. Um, Moving on to a quarterback who has had a good supporting cast, and um, yeah, it's 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 time to talk about Tua. So, Tua in this game, uh, disastrous stats, like absolutely disastrous. Ten for twenty-eight. At one point, he was what three for seventeen, uh, completing passes. And after looking at this game, um, it, it is it is kind of as bad as the stats would indicate, but. It's not like last week where I thought that there were openings to be exploited and Tua just was missing all over the place. Um, the The Chargers came in with a game plan of wanting to play press coverage on first or first and second down, and then on third down they they dropped into two high shells, uh, cover three, cover four, or cover two, cover four, cover six, uh, whatever um, two high shells that they wanted to do. Um, but the biggest thing that they did was. Like I said, sit in press coverage on first and second down and drop their linebackers um, pretty deep in the middle of the field. So basically what that did, uh, when you combine that with inside leverage, is it force it forces the Dolphins to either take the check down and eat up the space that the linebackers are giving, or it forces you to throw outside. So neither of those are particularly efficient options for any quarterback in the NFL, uh, but especially not for Tua, who's that, that, that is his, his worst area throwing, um, which is outside the numbers when, especially when, um, the chargers were able to not just bump the receivers off their spots, but honestly get away with a lot of illegal contact. And I think that, um, a a different refereeing crew could have changed the the landscape of this game. Um, but looking into it, um, on a play by play basis, uh, it would probably be pretty boring, uh, if I went through all the incompletions because they, look pretty similar. Um, Tua has receivers going inside, probably should work to the outside receivers, even though it's tricky tight windows. Um, But he just throws it inside anyway into an even tighter window because that's what he's most comfortable with. Um, And it leads to an incompletion. That's that's basically how most of the incompletions looked in this game. Um, He does make a few good throws, one of which was dropped by Jalen Waddell in the first quarter. And the rest of them are either... Uh, nice intermediate passes that we're accustomed to seeing from Tua in the rare moments where the Chargers did drop drop their coverages, or or the touchdown to Tyreek Hill down the sideline where um, Michael Davis and, and Tyreek Hill's feet got tangled up, but Tua threw a good ball and uh, Tyreek ran for a touchdown. Um, so moving forward from this game, um, I think that Tua, I wouldn't expect um, teams to just be able to execute the type of game plan that the Chargers did. Um, I think that there's there's been teams um, throughout the year that have tried to do some of these things, uh, play inside leverage, drop your linebackers to a, a deeper depth, and um, have safety help over the top on, on third downs while having press coverage on first and second. That that type of game plan 
it's it's pretty logical and and you can even see some elements of this in, in teams like the Texans. The problem is I don't know if the play of of the Chargers corners and secondary group is replicable by basically any team. Um, and so you're, you're going to need a masterful secondary performance to replicate what the Chargers did. Um, and, you know, I, I think it does speak to Tua's weaknesses a little bit that this game happened. Like, but, but we do already know that he's not exactly like a playmaker out of structure and his best skills come when he has answers for the defense and he can just throw, um, he can just throw the ball where he thinks he should go. Um, and yeah, that, that's kind of my spiel on it. I, I think, I think the Dolphins will be fine in the long term. but if you have any thoughts on that, you can, you can add it. I'm a little bit more skeptical about the Dolphins and it's not necessarily got to do with Tua, but honestly, I do think people have started to create a blueprint in how to stop this Dolphins offense, and I don't think it's just going to come down to something like officiating or maybe Tua hitting his throws. Because I think one very important factor people are ignoring is that the Dolphins have been pretty one-dimensional all year in terms of their offense, because they haven't really been able to run the ball all year. They have a pretty bad O-line, not the best running backs uh, overall, so it's kind of expected. But when... The Chargers essentially dared them to run the ball. They were still unable to, and I do think a lot of teams, if not every team they face moving forward, is going to force them to do that. And I think at some point that will take a toll. I think more importantly, uh, the way that the Chargers played against Tyreek Hill is something that I honestly think doesn't come down to officiating is something that's pretty easy to replicate because... As we all know, Tua definitely has his inconsistencies in throwing outside the numbers. In he's always had that problem with having a slightly weaker arm, and throws like that definitely don't suit him. Throws over the middle and that sort of thing are definitely his forte, and that's something that Tyreek Hill is great at as well. But even with a very bad, banged-up secondary with all of their second and third stringers in there, the Chargers were able to play rough and physical with Tyreek Hill and really upset the rhythm and the flow of his routes and that offense in general. And when that was messed up, it seemed like the rest of the Dolphins didn't really know what to do. It kind of showed how good Tyreek Hill is and how he's opened up stuff for guys like Jalen Waddle and their other receivers because Waddle for the last month or so he's been struggling big time and I also think that has to do with a lot of how Tyreek Hill's being guarded and yeah you could say with some officiating crews it would go differently but ultimately at the end of the day it comes down to whether teams are going to get caught for the way they're playing Tyreek Hill and this isn't the first time we've seen teams play Tyreek Hill like this when Tyreek Hill starting started torching teams with the Chiefs this is how people combated it as well. In the Super Bowl, that's exactly what the Niners did with slow corners like Richard Sherman to hold Tyreek Hill for a while. Obviously, Mahomes ended up having magic and Tyreek Hill broke out a little towards the end of the game. But a big reason teams were able to stop Tyreek Hill at all back then was this way. And I think Mahomes is good enough to, even when that's taken away, he can beat you in other ways. I don't know if Tua can do that, and with a poor run game, I think there could be some trouble in Miami. Yeah, um, I think I agree with almost everything that you said. My only thing is that 
I think there's evidence this year of Tua being able to like process defenses better than he did against the Chargers. I think it was uh, a bad game in that sense for him. And I also think there's evidence of him throwing outside the numbers well this year because I think his anticipation uh, has taken a leap and his ability to manipulate defenders with his eyes has taken a leap as well. Um, but I don't think that Tua's processing is high level enough to where he can get to like the fourth progression in a play um, when his post-snap um, look is kind of muddied. So that that's something to kind of test moving forward, I think. And I think you're hitting on all the right points there with um, how defenses will guard Tyreek Hill. But I still uh, I still uh, think that the end of that game for, for the Dolphins kind of showed a little bit, even though uh, some people may say they were down two scores, it was garbage time, the Chargers kind of changed up their looks. I don't think that um, their run game looked horrible once they actually started using like Jeff Wilson and such. And when they started throwing the ball short, it, it looked fine as well. Um, but obviously, um, when you take away a team's fastball, it, it's difficult to adjust. And um, they do have work to do moving forward. All right. Yeah. Speaking of sure. moving forward. Do... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, you, you can you can finish up that thought and we'll, we'll jump ahead to preview. Oh, yeah. My, my thought with that was going to be, yeah, I do think that you did mention a good point with the Chargers running game or the Dolphins run game kind of coming on as of late. But I do think a big part of that is the Chargers run defense being absolutely atrocious. And with not only that and I guess tiredness throughout the game setting in, I do think that's where they got more. That's why they were so successful. But they really had two, maybe three successful drives all game against an abysmal defense. And one came on a random scoop and score, which was all Tyreek Hill. The other was a complete breakdown because they happened to leave Tyreek Hill one-on-one an accident. The DB got cooked and fell over, and that was another deep touchdown. I think a lot of their uh, uh, offense came from flukes in that one. And I think against the Niners, I was a lot more lenient on them and giving them the benefit of the doubt. You can maybe even see from our last episode because that is an elite defense. When you come out and play the way they did against a defense like the Chargers, it definitely raises more concern for me. Yeah, I think they they, they can and they will play better. Um, beating press and Tua playing better. I, I, I expect that going forward. All right, speaking of going forward, let's jump ahead to our Week 15 previews and probably we'll start it up with, with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, Deshaun Watson... Uh, first two games so far this year hasn't looked the best. The first game was a lot worse than the second game, I'd say. We're talking about it a little bit, me and PD, throughout the week. He has gotten back his, I'd say, his athleticism, his ability to maneuver in the pocket, avoid sacks. I do think all that's lacking right now with him is maybe a bit of that uh, processing and his ability to read defenses, and I think that comes a lot with Rust, and a lot of him being inaccurate, and I think a lot of his throws are going a bit low, and he's missing low weight too much. There's definitely some mechanics issue there that they've got to solve, but it's a lot better for your throws to miss consistently in one spot rather than everywhere, because that does mean a small tweak could fix all of Watson's problems. So ultimately, he is showing some promise, but it's not all there and not all put together. 
And going up against this Ravens team, I think this Ravens defense as of late has kind of been underrated as how good they've been. I think that Rokon uh, Smith trade did wonders for them. And I think the linebacker core is going to pose a lot of trouble for Watson. With how good that O-line is, I don't expect him to face a whole lot of pressure. But as far as maneuvering around, maybe running around, scrambling, I don't expect him to do a whole lot of that because he still isn't fully bounced back in that aspect of his game. And with two athletic uh, linebackers in Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, uh, who can get side to side of the field pretty quickly, I do think he'll have some trouble dealing with that. As well as we all know outside of Mari Cooper that Brown's receiving core is pretty abysmal. And this Ravens secondary has started to pick up as of late with everyone being healthy. Marlon Humphreys and Marcus Peters are obviously both very good corners. And I don't expect his receivers to have a whole lot of separation either. So I think this will be a great test for Watson. I I think I don't expect him to do too well because I still think he's in that transition phase. But uh, I'd be very surprised if he did do well, but not expecting a good day. Yeah, I mean, it does not look good for Watson from what I've seen. The decision-making, it looks pretty sloppy. Um, He's turning down open guys. He's throwing very late. Uh, That interception that he threw late was was a backbreaker, and it it came off a really late throw. Um, So, I mean, I I don't have high expectations for Watson, and I don't think anyone else should as well. Um, Let's see see what he does uh, against a defense that's kind of rounding into form. Yeah, All right, sure. big time matchup oh, time. Bills. Yeah, Dolphins. this is probably the matchup of the week in Bills Dolphins, and I think with it being in Buffalo, that's going to be a little bit disappointing because I think this matchup could be fireworks, and it was an incredible matchup when we saw it early in the year. But in Buffalo, it is expected to snow very heavily, and we know that means there's not going to be a whole lot of throwing involved, depending on how much snow it is. But if it is as much snow as what's expected right now, we're not going to get that fireworks close game that we expected. It will still probably be close, but I think it will be a lot of ground and pound. And I think that definitely favors the quarterback I'm talking about in Allen, because with him having such a massive arm, the cold definitely does not affect him as much as other players. Because when that ball gets heavier, gets more dense and harder to throw. Guys like Allen with such a big arm should still be able to power through that and still be able to throw the ball downfield where maybe other quarterbacks may not be able to. So I think uh, I still expect a good game out of Allen because with the ground and pound game, he's going to kill that Dolphins defense with his legs. And I don't think they necessarily have someone to stop Diggs. And if he can get a bit of a thing going with digs in the short and intermediate routes because the deep ball is not going to be there all day if the weather goes as expected. I do think that uh, Allen can still kill this Dolphins defense despite the conditions, and this should be a fun game to watch regardless. Yeah, moving to the other side of the ball, um, in in heavy contrast um, with Josh Allen, um, Tua can't really run the ball. Uh, the same way, and I and I I hope he doesn't even try to run the ball because he's done some dumb things, um, taking hits and in the past. Get but right. yeah, I I really don't want that. But you know, um, the the Dolphins' offense is generally based on timing and and uh, defenders being 
um, thrown off by, by the speed and wide receivers being in the exact correct space at the right time and to a kind of throwing space based on um, a feel for uh, defender leverage. Um, so I mean, looking into this one, I do not have high expectations um, for, for Tua's performance. This is the first game this year that I really look at it and I'm just like, I, I don't see the Dolphins playing well. Um, so, you know, I, um, I, I have my hopes that they'll be able to finally figure out the run game and just rely on short passes to matriculate the ball down the field, but that'll probably lead to some pretty inefficient offense and whatever explosive plays that they get, that would be a massive surplus for, for that offense. Yeah. And moving on from one of the most exciting matchups to another matchup that might get buried underneath this matchup, but I think it'll be exciting as well in the Lions and Jets, two teams that have been historically bad, but this year have kind of come on despite not having a franchise quarterback. They've just got both got so much young talent that they're bound to win games. And right now, both teams are extremely hot too especially the Lions, who I believe have won four of their last five or something like that, just dropped a ton of points on a pretty good Vikings defense. And a big part of that is obviously Jared <coughs> Jared Goff, who's been a great job, done a great job this year at facilitating all those weapons this Lions team has, all those young guys, and especially with Jameson Williams coming back this uh, last week, that Lions offense has become even more explosive than it already was. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they match up against this team who this Jets team has been incredible for most of this year. And a lot of that is how good that secondary has been. So I think it'll be really interesting to see the matchups between guys like Sauce and Amon Ra and just overall those cornerback receiver matchups because both teams have incredible players in that position. And I think overall for Goff, he's definitely not going to be as successful as he has been over this last month or so passing because he's kind of been able to do whatever he wants. I don't think the Jets will allow that, and I think this might end up even being a bit of a cold-weather game, which may uh, cause Goff to struggle a bit. So don't expect the Lions to put up as many points as they have been. But I do think this offense is high-powered enough to still score despite being going up against a good defense, I'd expect them to score maybe in like the mid twenties. Goff to have a solid but not great game. Um, yeah, agreed with what you said there. Um, quick, quick amendment to what you said. Um, Vikings defense started off pretty strong to start the year, but they're averaging thirty point six points per game given up over the past five weeks. So it's really fallen off, and it's not just the Lions game. Uh, so quick amendment that I wanted to make there what you said yeah but moving on to Jalen Hurts who has the matchup of the year um for for his chance to make great production with um playing against the disastrous Bears defense and I would expect the Eagles to have their way yeah I would expect them to have their way no matter what mode that they want to go into whether they want to establish the ground game with Hurts and and the rest of that running crew or whether they want to take advantage of their 1v1s with Devontae Smith and, and A.J. Brown, which I'm sure that they'll do because they like to establish their... Um, they, they like to run up the score early um, with their 
with their passing game. So um, I would expect um, this to be a big-time blowout. Um, expect another MVP-level performance um, so that, you know, Jalen Hurts continues to add to his, his resume of this year. Yeah. And moving on from an elite quarterback who has a very easy matchup to someone who probably doesn't have as easy of a matchup in Justin Herbert, who's going to be hosting the Titans this week. And I just talked about Herbert. He put up an absolutely incredible performance against the Dolphins. And with all of that team coming back, I don't necessarily think this game will go any different than the previous week. I also spoke about Trevor Lawrence and how he absolutely demolished this defense. They clearly didn't seem to have an answer for, you know, bigger, big, quick receivers. Like, well, Evan Ingram, not necessarily a wide receiver, but at tight end, he was able to just destroy those matchups. They don't seem to have someone that can defend that type of guy. And I do think Mike Williams really fits that mold. He's not quite as shifty as Evan Ingram and probably not as fast, but he's a big receiver that the Titans seem to have a lot of problems with. Even A.J. Brown the previous week, they seem to struggle with. So I do think that Herbert to Mike Williams connection is going to prove to be very helpful in this one. And Herbert having all of his weapons back in general is going to be very helpful for him. I don't think the Titans are particularly great at stopping the run either. So expect a good game from that rushing attack of Eckler, Josh Kelly, etc. All those guys. Uh, maybe not something they're going to lean on because obviously Herbert is fantastic. But uh, I still expect a good game out of Herbert. Maybe not quite as good as last week because that's kind of hard to lep- replicate. But still a good performance from him nonetheless. And I expect this to be a very close one somewhat high scoring because both offenses are pretty good and this will also be one of the more exciting matchups of the week yeah totally agreed with what you said there um i'm gonna move to ryan Tannehill on the other side and the chargers defense is coming off a great performance where they kind of shut down um the dolphins offense but i think that the titans offense presents a totally different challenge for them um they are not really built for the physicality that Derrick Henry runs with, um, being that they're quite quite the poor uh, run defense team. Um, and so I think that uh, Derrick Henry will have a, a great time uh, running against the Chargers as long as the Titans' offensive line does not play like, like seriously poorly. And that'll lead to some opportunities for play action um, for, for Ryan Tannehill, I hope, uh, when the Chargers start to play more defenders in the box. And hopefully um, that'll be the opportunity for Ryan Tannehill to take advantage of the 1v1s. Um, the Titans receivers haven't been great at gaining separation this year, as we know, but um, sometimes Ryan Tannehill's ball placement on high-difficulty throws has been so good that it doesn't even matter. So that, that'll be what I'm looking for uh, in this game uh, with the Chargers defense being so poor at defending the run. Um and that will be the second last one because the last guy that we're going to look at is is Joe Burrow. And Burrow has Burrow has been playing absolutely fantastic this week or this year. Um, since about week two, you could make an argument that he's been maybe the best quarterback in the league. Um, and so, moving to this matchup against the Bucks, the Bucks have 
had some serious issues uh, on defense with with miscommunications, with you know, with issues on the back end just generally with talent this year. And I think that if um, if the Bengals are going to win this game, it'll be through their ability to beat one v ones, specifically with Jamar Chase and T Higgins. And I think that there is no one. No one really in the NFL can cover Jamar Chase one-on-one, but especially not on the Bucks. And, you know, we, we'll, we'll, we'll see um, what Jamar Chase and T. Higgins can do. I think that Joe Burrow's ability to uh, give, his, give his receivers an opportunity to win the 1v1s, uh, combined with the Bengals' newfound ability to pass block at, at a decent level, um, combined with also the Bucks' defense um, pass rush not – really playing at the level that they once did in 2020 and 2021. Uh, I think that Burrow will have a decent amount of time to throw and good advantages um, to take advantage of on the outside. So that'll be advantageous for him. And yeah, I, I would expect him to have a good game. There's basically nothing stopping him from uh, having a good game at this point in the season. He's just attacking every coverage well. Um, he's attacking you know, every matchup that he possibly can. He's taking advantage of everything that's there to be had and more. And yeah, that'll be all. Um, Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, As always, leave a like, subscribe, um, leave a rating on whatever platform that you're listening on. That'll be all for me. That'll be all from Potty. Um, See you guys next week.